The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would please, and open them to 1 Samuel chapter 2, Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And we do praise the Lord for this day that we're able to take a, a, a Sunday morning to spend some time honoring mothers. And also, I would say to thank the Lord for women, some who aren't, aren't mothers, of course, that are very faithful women of God. And we know this is the Lord's Day, and I don't know if anybody would complain that we would say something about mothers on the Lord's Day, but any time that we take time to talk about something that is godly, something that, that honors God as He honors and uses God's purposes, then we can say that we are using the Lord's Day for the right, the right things. This is what God wants us to do. The Scriptures certainly do honor mothers. It has much to say about raising children and providing a home and about wives that uh, honor their God-given role in the family. And we don't have any doubt that, that being a mother is one of the highest callings that God can call a person to. It's one of the greatest challenges that any woman has. And my subject today is not the biblical order for women in the church, but I will say that there isn't a woman who should despair that she doesn't have a higher calling than she has. There isn't a woman who should despair that in the church that God restricts her from the pulpit because she does something that men can't do. And you know that. Women, women do things that men can't do. God has given them just a very, very special disposition, uh, a special calling to be able to raise, to have children and raise children. And that calling is just as special as any calling that was ever given to a man. The Apostle Paul in his writings said that he pressed for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm sure that when Paul said that, he meant anything that the Lord wanted him to do, any service that he could render to God, he was willing to do if that brought people into the kingdom of God. If it blessed God's church, Paul was willing to do it. But here is one thing that Paul was not able to do. This is not his calling because he was a man. And this thing that God has called women to, this is, this is a godly thing. It's very important. It's very vital to the work of the church to have mothers who are spiritual, mothers who raise their children to accept the challenge of, of honoring God, their challenge of, of doing that to teach their children. And then also this, to love their husbands, to honor them, and to build a holy house. And that surely does mark a prize of high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, here in 1 Samuel, there's the story of a woman who was all of these things. She was a very godly woman, and she did become a mother. Her name is Hannah, and Hannah is a Hebrew word that means grace. The grace of God was upon Hannah, and she showed her profound belief in God through the expression of a song in 2 Samuel or rather, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, our text today is verses 1 through 10. And my intention is to introduce you to Hannah, not only as a mother, but as a woman that was theologically profound. 
that she showed understanding of her God in an expressive song that I've titled Hannah's Hallelujah. Hallelujah simply means praise Jehovah, and this is her praise for God giving her the blessing of a son. First of all, we're going to read her song of praise. Then we're going to back up just a little bit to see what is it that led to the song of praise. And then we're going to return to these verses in 1 Samuel chapter 2 to talk about the theological concepts that Hannah showed in this text. So if you'll look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, 1 Samuel 2, verse number 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. That is Hannah's hallelujah. Who was Hannah? Well, she was the wife of a Levite named Elkanah, who lived among the Ephraimites in the central part of Israel. Some of you might need some help understanding, well, what are Levites and what are Ephraimites? And those are references to two of the sons of Jacob, the tribes of, of Israel, two of the tribes. And uh, the Levites are the sons of Levi, and the Ephraimites are the sons of Ephraim. Not all Levites were priests. They are the tribe of the priests, but not all the Levites were priests. They all had duties, though, that were related to the worship of Israel. And Elkanah... The man who's in this story, the husband of Hannah, was not a priest, but he was a Levite from the family of Kohath, which incidentally happens to be the same family of Moses and Aaron. When Canaan was divided among the tribes of Israel, Levi, one of the sons, uh, his descendants were not given an inheritance in the land. That is not boundaries, but rather they were scattered throughout cities all throughout Israel because they did have this duty of of the worship of Israel. And this is how that Elkanah, being a Levite, came to live among the Ephraimites. He lived in a city of the Ephraimites, but he was a Levite, not an Ephraimite. Now, let, let's begin by relating some information about the, about the home life of Hannah. She was married to Elkanah, but she wasn't the only one that was married to him. There are two wives that are in this family, the name of the other is Penina, 
which tells us immediately there's going to be a problem in the family. Two, two wives is definitely a problem. I like to answer questions in our Sunday morning forum class, and this is one that is asked, has been asked many times throughout the years, and that is, why did God allow polygamy in the Old Testament? Why do you see that so many times among God's people in the Old Testament? You might wonder about it, and I'm very, very sorry that we don't have time to discuss that issue today, but I will say you this, that God was not pleased with it, God's not happy with it, God did not bless it, and there was no good that came from these uh, marriages that had multiple wives. Now, I don't want you to take it wrong, but why a man would want two wives is a mystery because he's just asking for trouble. I mean, he's asking for strife in the household. He's asking for jealousy. And in this case, there are two wives that aren't happy. You can't make either one of them happy in this household. Jealousy and arguments and deceitfulness and shame and misery is not a way for people to live. And so God never intended that for his people. But part of the answer of why there are two wives in this family has to do with Hannah's personal problem. And that is that Hannah could not have children. She wasn't able to give Elkanah the child that he wanted, and that left her unfulfilled. It left her feeling second-rate because she couldn't provide for her husband what he desired, and that is an heir to carry on the family name. And you remember that this is the same problem that we see in other places. Abraham and Sarah had this problem. Sarah couldn't conceive. She can't have a child. And when she thought that God wasn't acting quickly enough or that God wasn't going to help her, then she hitched or hatched rather a plan in which she gave Abraham her servant Hagar. And he, say, uh, uh, Abraham had a child by Hagar, and that was definitely a problem. Jacob also had two wives, Rachel and Leah. He loved Rachel, but she hadn't given him children. And she was miserable about that because Leah had children. And so Rachel said to Jacob, give me children or I die. And Rachel and Leah were in this fierce competition for Jacob's affection. And before that story ends, Jacob had multiple liaisons with with two wives and, and servants. And finally, there are 13 children in that family. That tells you the goal here is children. This is what they want. They must have children. A woman at that time felt worthless. She felt useless. No matter what else that she could do, if she can't have children, this is the very thing that defines her. It's motherhood that defines the woman. And so in Hannah's house, her husband did something to solve this problem of an heir. He married another woman, and he brought her into the house. Now, we see in chapter 1 that Hannah is mentioned first. That's in verse number 2. And that's an indication that Hannah was the first wife and that Penina was second, and she was brought in to solve the problem of no children in the family. In verse number 5, it says that Elkanah loved Hannah. She is the preferred wife, but Penina is the one that gave him kids. This is her ability. And so she began to taunt Hannah about this until she was really getting under the skin of Hannah, until living with this other woman in the house just became unbearably miserable for her. And then another piece of information that's helpful is the time that this takes place in Israel's history. This is before the kings. And if you look at the title of 1 Samuel, many of your Bibles will say 
1 Samuel, otherwise known as the first book of the kings. So this happens before there is the first king in Israel. The story takes place at the time of the judges. That's the period before the kings, and it's characterized by this infamous saying in Judges 21, verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And when everyone does what is right in their own eyes, there's rarely anything done that is right. And you can see this later in 1 Samuel, as Eli, who was the priest at that time, was a worthless priest, his sons were priests also, and they were his two sons were two of the most notoriously evil men of all the priests that ever lived in Israel. So this is the background of our story. Hannah is a godly woman living in a very wicked time and living in a household where there is a diabolical arrangement. So Hannah is a tortured soul. And so her only help is to have God give her the child that she desires. Now, next we want to discuss the hopeful life of Hannah. She was hopeful because her trust was in God. She loved her husband, and though he had brought another woman into the house, she still felt the responsibility to do what God had called her to do, to be a faithful wife. The new wife mistreated her. Her husband disrespected her. She was a godlier woman than he was a godly man, and so she began to pray. And when she prayed, she prayed with such intensity and such fervency that it reminds us of what James said in James chapter 5 in the New Testament where he wrote that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, and there we could put righteous woman as well, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous woman availeth much. Now if you'll look just a minute at chapter 1 and verse number 10, it says, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And so with bitterness in her soul, she prayed for relief. And she prayed that God would give her a child, and rather than to keep that child for herself, she vowed that if God would answer her prayer, that she would dedicate her child to the Lord. Her intent was to bear the child, then to wean him, and then turn him over to the priest to be raised in the Lord's service. So God gave her a child. God was faithful to give her a child, and so she was faithful to her vow. And that child is Samuel, and he became one of Israel's greatest priests. He was the last judge before the kings. He anointed the first king of Israel, and then the second king of Israel, that was David. David was Israel's greatest king, and he established the Davidic throne, the line of kings through which Christ came. The Messiah is the son of David. And he is the son of God. So probably about the age of three years old, Samuel was taken to the tabernacle and he was turned over to Eli, the priest. And Samuel was trained and later chosen to be the leader of Israel. Now, although Hannah and Samuel are not ancestors of Jesus, they, they were used to help God's people at a, at a time of ungodliness and and they were instrumental in bringing the Messiah into the world. Now, I want, you to, I want you to see this in Hannah, that she knew the true God. She knew God's promises. And although people in the Old Testament didn't understand the coming of Christ in the same way that we do today, uh, yet still they did believe that God would send a Messiah, a Messiah, 
And they knew that they knew that uh, they were God's chosen people, and that hope in the Messiah was present in the minds of faithful, godly women. So that every time that a child was born, a woman hoped that she would be the one that would bear that child who would be the Messiah. Now, in, in a sense, Samuel is that kind of a child. He wasn't the Messiah. And he wasn't in the ancestry of the Messiah. But God blessed Hannah to give her a son who is a great man, became a great man, and a man at the time who became a great blessing to God's people. Now we move into chapter 2. And this is Hannah's hallelujah. This is her response to that answered prayer. This is her song of praise that she sang in gratefulness for the miraculous answer that God had given her. Now there are... Many people that pray and plead with God and they make promises to God and as soon as they get what they want, then they forget what they said to God. There are many people that bargain with God. I've even heard this myself. God, if you'll give me this, if you'll bless me with this, do what I want, then Lord, this is what I'm going to do for you. And God does His part, but rarely do they do their part. They forget the vow that they make to God. And maybe there's somebody in here like that today that... At some time in your life, you've made a promise to God. You prayed and you said, God, give me this, and this is what I'll do for you. But your promise is still hanging out there. You haven't fulfilled the vow that you made to God. Hannah wasn't that way. She was a woman who followed through with her vow. She gave up her son, Samuel, and she praised God that he gave her a son and that she had the opportunity to do this that she could give her son into the service of the Lord. And so she thanked God for the abundant grace that he gave. Now, lest I forget to say this later, she gave up her first son, and God opened her womb again and blessed her with three more sons and gave her two daughters. And if she had not kept her vow, those other children would not have been born, and the life of Samuel would have always been in doubt. Well, now our focus becomes her song of praise, and her hallelujah shows that she had an uncommon trust in God, that she knew a lot of things about the God that she served, and might I say, some things that every woman in here and every man ought to know about the God that we serve. So thirdly, we're going to look at the holy life of Hannah. What did Hannah give up in her son? Why does she sing this hallelujah? Oh, we can say, first of all, that she was holy, that's for sure. She, she was dedicated to her God. She lived in a very unholy time, that's the time of the judges. She lived in a time when the priests at the tabernacle were very, very bad examples for the people. They were supposed to be holy. But Eli, who was the high priest, turned a blind eye to the wickedness of his sons. And his two sons were named Hophni and Phinehas. They were thieves. They stole from the sacrifices. They took the best for themselves. They robbed God and his people. They were grossly immoral. They had relations with women who came to the tabernacle for worship. And much like priests and some pastors today who have influence over people, they influence and they overpower the will, and these men became perverse fornicators with women that were in the congregation of Israel. And it's likely that when Eli saw Hannah praying at the tabernacle for a son, that he thought that she was one of these lewd women that had come to have relations with his sons. And so she marked 
He marked rather that her lips were moving when she prayed. She was silently mouthing the words. And he thought that she was drunk. And he accused her of being drunk. And that's the godliness of Eli. That's the kind of man that he was. He expected the worst and he permitted the worst. And so here we have Hannah who is godlier than the priest in Israel and godlier than the husband in her home. So we have a very unusual sight. We have a godly woman living in the time of the judges. She's a ray of sunshine in a very perverse world. And for those women who can't be pastors, you need to understand that your faithfulness and your godliness makes you more righteous than many preachers that I've seen. We need your help. Your godliness and faithfulness are needed in churches. And the New Testament often mentions women who aren't preachers, but they are essential for the support of the ministry. There are eight key concepts in this hallelujah. There are more. There are more that we can find in these verses, but these are the ones that I want to show you today. And I don't want you to worry about this because uh, eight points usually take me about four weeks to get through. And, uh, but if your mother is still living, she will be alive when I get done with the sermon today. Hannah knew how to pray. She knew some marvelous characteristics of the God that she worshipped. And we're going to get to those. But first of all, I'd like to talk to you just a little bit about how it all starts out. And that is with her thankfulness. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. This is her song of praise for relief from those taunting words of Penina. The enemy of Hannah is not the Philistines, and her enemy is not an army that surrounds her house. Her enemy is in her house. This refers to Penina, that grating chalkboard under the fingernails that just literally drove Hannah, to, Hannah crazy and vexed her every day so their life was miserable. But though the enemy vexed her, that enemy's not her focus. Revenge on her is not her focus. Her focus is God. And so in ten verses, she referred to God more than twenty times. She prayed to God, she praised God, she gave thanks to God. Now, you'll notice that she says, my horn is exalted. What does that mean? Well, this was a very common saying in those days. A horn is a metaphor for power. And it refers to, to animals that had horns like goats, the deer, uh, or a huge animal like a rhinoceros. The horn is their power. The horn is what they use for protection. The horn is for fighting off predators. It shows the supremacy of that animal over a weaker animal. In like manner, Christ is referred to as the horn of salvation, that he is the strength of salvation. Before his birth, Zacharias prayed, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for it visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, listen carefully to this, that the horn in Hannah's prayer is her own body. It's her own body, that the Lord had given her the power, the strength to conceive. He gives children, he gifts women in their body with strength that a man doesn't have the power to do. 
Children are a blessing from God. He gives the body the power to make all the necessary changes. He makes the womb for the implantation of this miraculous zygote that attaches itself to the womb and then begins to grow this little human who bears the image of God. Oh, heaven forbid that the child who bears the image of God should be destroyed because that baby is an inconvenience. Now to Hannah, this child is a symbol that God triumphs over his enemies. And with this child, Penina lost her power over Hannah. Hannah gave her husband a son that sealed his love for her and took away every last bit of reproach that, that she felt because she couldn't give him what caused this other woman to be in her house. And so Penina's mouth was stopped with the miraculous baby. Her taunts are useless now in the, in the face of a miraculous child. And Hannah knew, it's God who gave me this child. And there's no hesitation on her part to say that God answered her prayer and gave her body the power, the horn, to bear that child. And so her faith caused her to praise God and caused her to keep her vow. Next in Hannah's Hallelujah, her theology of God speaks of holiness. In verse number 2, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. There is none other rock. There is, a, there is no rock like our God. Now here, I'm not speaking of Hannah's holiness. This is the holiness of God who is the model for us all. This is the mighty righteousness of God. Did heathens ever speak of the holiness of their gods? Do you know what holy means? The word just literally means to be separate. It means to be distinct. It means to be different. And the holiness of God, the thing that makes him different from all others, is God's perfection. That he's perfect in his character. It's his justice that makes him stand out above all the imaginary gods of the mind. None of the heathen nations ever spoke of their God in terms like perfect love because they felt no love from their gods. And there was nothing unique in their gods. In fact, in the history of religion from the time of the Tower of Babel, which is probably the time of the invention of the first uh, idols and false gods of those kinds, from that time all the way through the centuries till you get to the mythology of the Greeks and Romans, you have this plurality of gods, all the same gods with just different names. And so there isn't anything special about them at all. And what is it that makes Christianity stand out, that separates it from all the religions of the world? Well, you know what it is. The thing that separates our belief from all other beliefs is this one thing, and that is love. That God is love. Isn't that what the Scripture says? God is love. And what we've learned in the Ten Commandments is that love undergirds every commandment that God gave. Love God with your heart, your soul, and your mind, all of it, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's holiness and God's holiness produces love for your fellow man God is perfect in every attribute central to her understanding is who she is and who God is and she knew, knew God is different God's high God's holy God's lifted Hannah knew there is no God to turn to but her God are we mistaken about holy God are we as good theologians as Hannah I think mostly not. The politically correct pundits will tell you, pray to the God of your choice. Okay, do that. But there's only one God that's alive. There's only one God that makes a difference if you pray to Him, and that's the God who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
All other prayers are a waste of time. And they actually thrust you underneath the wrath of the one true living God. So Hannah knew there is no God who is real but her God. Is that what you teach your children? Do you teach them there is no God but God? Or do you teach them to accept the profane? Do you tell them that God is okay with violations of His character? Are you a mother or a father perhaps today who's bought into the culture of our public schools that tells you that all lifestyles are acceptable, even those lifestyles that violate the holiness of God? Hannah would never do it. She was a godly mother, and she reflected the holiness of her God. Thirdly, in Hannah's theology, is steadfastness. The steadfastness of God. He is our rock. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. God is always dependable. God never falters. He never stumbles. He never changes. As the Word says, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you place your faith in Him, it is secure. He holds you fast. He will hold me fast. And when you trust in Him, He takes you into His arms, into His hands, and He holds you firmly. He is the rock of our faith. Jesus said, the wise man... Or, in our case, the wise woman builds her house on the rock. And that means they build their home on the sayings of Christ, on the commandments, on the promises of God's Word. They are anchored to the rock who is Christ. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. This is the wise woman, the wise mother, who trusts in the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. And then connected to that, in Hannah's theology of God, there is also God's protection. That this rock gives protection. She goes on and she talks about uh, God breaking the bows. And who is it that strikes a blow at God? Who shoots arrows at God? Oh, God takes weapons and snaps them like twigs. In a few short years, Samuel would anoint a young shepherd boy who went down to a brook and took five smooth stones out of the brook And then with a sling around his head and a twist of the wrist, he let a rock fly that was miraculously guided between the peepholes of a giant's helmet and hit him in the exact spot to fell him to the ground. Who are your enemies if you trust Christ? I wish I had time to preach this part. Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. 62.2, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And 125 verse 2, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people from henceforth even forever. And need I remind you that the Scriptures also refer to God as a loving mother. Did you know that? With the characteristics of a mother. Listen to this and what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 23:37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Psalm 61.4, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. Mothers, are you afraid for your children? Have you ever said, what's this world coming to? What's going to happen to my kids? How are they going to survive? I've heard 
people say, we won't have children. Women who say, I, we won't have children because the world is too dangerous today. But what do the Scriptures say? Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. What is there to fear when God is on your side? See, this is the whole key right here, that God has to be in your family as he was in Hannah's family. Now, the godly mother is one who's not afraid because she prays. She prays for protection. She prays for her children. She prays, and she knows, as Peter said, we are kept by the power of God through faith. Never mistake that power. The godly mother knows the power that, and the protection that's there. Don't be fearful for your children when you raise them to honor Christ and pray for their protection. Fifthly, in her theology of God, she speaks of God's providence. This is a hallelujah for providence. Verse 5, They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. Bible readers, does this remind you of the most blessed mother of all and what she said? Hannah bears a marked resemblance to the Virgin Mary. Mary said in Luke 1, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hoped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. That verse reminds me of why I love the King James Version. The language is superb. I always come to this little word, hopen, that's in verse number 54, and that has just this lovely, majestic ring to it. The modern translations, such as the ESV, read this way, he helped, and that's what the word means. It means helped, but helped's not special like hopen. Maybe that's just me, but those kinds of words just tug at my heart when the King James says he hath hopen his servant Israel. Mary said he has filled the hungry with good things. Hannah said the, they that are hungry ceased. The spiritual effect of that is to say, as Jesus said, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. They will be satisfied. Now, in this case, she would be blessed and more blessed as she received other children when she gave up Samuel to her vow. So the, the godly mother knows the, the source of every provision. I've also heard this, that women will say, I can't afford children. Sadly, that's become an excuse for abortion. Money is more important than a child's life. Same argument that's made for euthanasia. The, the old are just too expensive for us. We can't keep them up, so let's just get rid of them. So the insurance company says, that costs too much. That costs too much, let's just let them die. Who gives life? Who sustains life? Jesus said, the Father feeds the sparrows. And he said, are you not more valuable than sparrows? Is that child that's in the womb worth no more than a sparrow? Have you ever seen a sparrow push the eggs over the side of the nest to kill the babies that are inside, the little birds that are inside, because they're just too much trouble, too much expense for that mother? Does a sparrow not go and get food for every one of them? Now, I watched a very interesting video a few days ago. This was about birds that don't build nests, but instead these birds lay their eggs in other birds' nests. And the eggs that they lay are very, very similar to the, the eggs of that native bird who owns that nest. 
And so this other bird comes and lays her eggs in that nest and lets another mother hatch them. This is called brood parasitism. The bird with the nest is a parasite, uh, with no nest rather, is a parasite mother. And so she takes advantage of the other bird to raise her young. Now one of the remarkable things about this is that for an egg that gets hatched in the nest, when the hatchling comes out, it's larger than the native birds that are in the nest. And so the fledgling begins to dominate the nest. And so when the mother comes with food for the little birds, she sees this huge mouth with it, it's open, and she comes and she puts food in that mouth. That's the one that she sees. That's her target. And all of her babies are hidden underneath that larger bird. Finally, the fledgling bird grows so large that it begins to push the other little babies out of the nest. But you know the thing that this mother does? She continues to feed that mouth. It keeps squawking and it wants more. It's hungry and she goes and she goes and she goes. She gets food and food and food and keeps feeding that bird because she's not going to let it starve. She's convinced this is mine. And I don't care how long it cries. I don't care how loud the cries are. I'm going to feed this little mouth. Folks, a godly mother trusts God's provision. She doesn't play God with conception. God can take care of those that he gives. In verse 9, He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. Now, next, sixthly, in her theology of God, there is vengeance. The adversaries, verse 10, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. Vengeance doesn't sound right for Mother's Day, does it? It sounds like what we want to talk about. But as a mother, wouldn't you like to see a little bit of wrath visited on those rotten little kids that, that corrupt your sweet little angels? Uh, don't get your hopes raised too much because we're not going to talk about God trampling on you know, the, those who cross your offspring. But this is interesting because Hannah, in this saying, she still has Samuel on her mind. You see, to be a leader is to face opposition. Those who stand for the Lord are going to have enemies that will try to tear them down. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't be surprised by that. When you take a stand for him, they're not going to stand for you. Israel had enemies on every side. And those enemies, quite frankly, were people that had held a grudge against Israel for 500 years. These are people that had been pushed out of Canaan when Joshua conquered the land. And so they were still angry. That's the enemies that Israel faced most often. But they, uh, also God regarded them as enemies. And he wasn't happy that all of them weren't destroyed from the very beginning because they hadn't given Israel passage through their land. And if you go over to chapter 15, you'll see this working out when Saul uh, was told by Samuel to go and kill the Amalekites destroy them all. And on the way to getting to chapter 15, you run through the Philistines. They're there everywhere, and they killed them as well. And the moral of that story is very short and sweet. Don't mess with God's people. I, I will have vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Now, folks, we're not into physical war today, so I'm not telling you, go out and beat your enemies to death. It's not a physical war that we fight in today. The Bible says we fight against principalities, against powers, against rulers in high places, dark things of this world. But did you know that one day the physical war is going to be renewed and God is going to destroy his enemies? 
So when you speak of God, you need to be sure you know who He is. You do your best to try to balance it out against God's love. That's fine. Yes, God loves. He loves His people. And it also says He is angry at the wicked every day. God loves righteousness. Seventh word. We're hurrying on here. The seventh word is judgment. Her theology includes judgment. Verse 10, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall He thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. So Hannah believed that God is going to judge every person. And she knew that God was not just the God of Israel. He is the God of this world. That His government extends over the entire earth. Isaiah 11 verse 9, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters that covers cover the sea. And so it is, mothers, you need to know this, that God's judgment will be on you and on your children. And that's not a problem if you believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Him, you will be glad for judgment because when you stand before God to give your your account, God's not even going to see you at all. He's going to see the Lord Jesus Christ who stands good for you, who takes all of your sins away, who removes the guilt of your sin, and He covers the sins of your children if you've been faithful to lead them to Christ. So there isn't any fear and judgment for you. This judgment is not going to uncover your sins. Christ secured all those sins. He buried those in His tomb and left them there. And instead you will be judged for faithfulness to Him and rewarded accordingly. And so a godly mother looks forward to the coming of Christ and to that judgment because then is when God says to that godly mother, well done, good and faithful servant. Now lastly, lastly in her theology is exaltation. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah's son Samuel would be the one who anointed Israel's most revered king. David would receive that blessing, but that's not in view in this verse. It's not her son, it's not Samuel she's talking about, it's not David she speaks of, it is the Messiah. It's the Messiah's horn, it's his power that will be exalted. And would you look at this for just a minute? This is Hannah, a very godly woman. Women can't be preachers. In the New Testament, a woman can never be a preacher. But here is a woman who prophesied. That God used this lady as a prophet. Now, don't get me wrong. Should you hold out hopes that you're going to be a prophet? No. Hebrews says that in times past, God spoke through prophets. But in these days, he speaks through his son, Jesus Christ. But here is Hannah living in an ungodly time of the judges, and she prophesied. And did you know that she can be a model for your home? She prayed in her time of trouble. She trusted God for her desire. She thanked God through an outstanding theological prayer, and she exalted the name of Jesus Christ. Is that what your home looks like? Twenty-one times in ten verses she referred to her Lord. Her focus is on Him. And you notice that in this prayer, there is not one request for herself. That's no longer needed. Her focus is on the Lord. And through her gift of a son, God's gift to her of a son, 
she saw would see the gift of another son in glory. So she was blessed to be able to help to fulfill messianic prophecy. Is it bad then that we take the Lord's day to honor mothers? No, because we have a scripture in the Bible preserved to be read on the Lord's day among God's people. If we point to Jesus Christ and we recognize that the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the reason that we are here, then Mother's Day is also the Lord's Day because we exalt the very same things that God exalts. So great women, great women of God, rejoice in the power of your body that God has given you a special ability to create little bears of God's image. Mothers know there's nothing as precious as the children that God gives. And so I encourage you to rejoice in your motherhood. Rejoice in the horn of your power, the body that God gave you to bear children in the image of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for mothers. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for this prayer of Hannah what she had to say about the Almighty God and what He does for each and every person who puts their trust in Him. Lord, we just pray for mothers today. We thank You for godly mothers. And we ask You, Lord, to be with them, strengthen them in their home, help them to teach their children the truths right out of Your Word, to be women of God, faithful women of God, who, give that, who gives that truth and, and, and is a, an example that others can look to, that children can look to and remember, and remember at another time, at a later time, when moms are gone and we don't have that anymore, we look back and we say, thank God for a mother that taught me the truth of God's Word. May we have mothers like that in our church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.